when a guard would stop and talk to you, you used to stand back and you would yell so people could hear what you were saying to that guard as they walked by or, or within the vicinity. But he knew what a convict was going to do before they thought of it themselves. He'd just been around that long and uh, he was tough. They'd find uh, Sparky in about every conceivable place you could imagine, which we would, of course, dump. They'd wait until everybody was locked up and he would open his door, run down to cell one and get a bugler can full of Sparky and take it back to his cells. She had a kind of a hypnotic power. There were a great many wild cats around the penitentiary, and most people couldn't get near them. But she would stand in the doorway of the cell house and say, Kitty, 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 and those cats would go to her. Oh, welcome to Stool Pigeon Saturday. Uh, we've got a special guest today. He is Jeremy Ward. He's actually a current correctional officer at ISCC. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is something that we we don't really cover very often in our show. Most of our show is focused on the history and, and the inmates in particular. So today it's awesome to have you here to talk about the other side of the of the uh, prison life cycle of, of being a correctional officer. So be yeah, nice welcome. to give a different perspective for you guys. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, could, what can you tell us about yourself? I born and raised in Boise, Idaho. You know, graduated from Bora High School in 08. Mm-hmm. Moved down to Pocatello for a little while and went to ISU. And about a year after I came back, started working out at the prisons out there south of town. Been there for a little over five years now. What, I guess, drove you to work in corrections? Well, there was a couple of parts. I thought about it off and on for a few years. My great-grandpa worked out at the old pen. My Grandpa grew up around it, so I grew up hearing all his stories. And then I had a buddy that I went to high school with who ended up was already working out there and just kept badgering me to apply and apply. Like, oh, I don't think it's for me, not something I want to do. Eventually I gave in, applied, and just started loving it right away. Interesting. Well, what is it that you like about being out there? Because I just don't think I would last very long out there. Well, some days can be <laughs> extremely boring, but... Other days, like what they tell you in the academy, is it's probably about 98% boredom, 2% pure adrenaline. When something happens, you know, one way or the other, you just get that rush, and it's just fun to respond to different things. And right. Mix it up. Can you uh, talk about just what's your typical boring 98% of the time day? What What's that look like? Uh, well, for me, in the shift I'm on usually starts about 6.30 in the morning just before. Start by running them groups of inmates about 40 or so down to the chow hall for breakfast and every hour we have mass movements so they can get to their programming and education classes that we offer things like that and then you know when it's their rec time they go out on the yard and everything other than that it's just hourly chair checks where we get to walk make sure everybody's you know okay nothing shady going on in the tiers wait till 2 30 or so and then out the door out the door what are some exciting days? What What's the most common thing that you run into? Um, it depends. One of the most common ones would probably be when somebody refuses to go back on tier. They say they can't live there for whether it be a safety concern or they just... We have different parts of the population, different parts of the facility. Some of them don't like being around, you know, sex offenders or other ones don't want to live around uh, STG or gang members. And mm-hmm. Sometimes those arguments get 
kind of heated. Doesn't always end up the right way, but most of the time you're able to talk them down and get them to either find somewhere else for them to be, or sometimes they have to go to segregation. But your great grandpa worked at the old pen, and your grandpa Bob, he was actually a volunteer at the old pen. He used to give tours, so I used to hear a bunch of stories from him that just kind of growing up on the prison grounds, which was like, wow, that is some insight into how this old joint ran. Have you heard some stories from him that you you could tell? that? Not many that I remember too well, because mm-hmm. it's been quite a while since we've been out there, but the person he probably talked about the most was uh, Harry Orchard mm-hmm. out there. I guess he met him several times. I was seeing him, I think Orchard was raising chickens at one point, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. when my grandpa met him. But Yeah, yeah, that was towards... So Harry Orchard died in the mid-50s, and he had been basically segregated to his own house outside of the prison walls and basically away from the rest of the population where he's raising chickens and kind of mentoring young inmates as they were coming in so it's and and community members people would come in and and have little church services with harry and discuss the bible and fascinating thing Mm -hmm. for for you know a notorious assassin and murderer Mm -hmm. absolutely over 30 people that he, Mm -hmm. he killed in his lifetime and just you know, publish the book, The Man God Made Again, you know, because he had found this revelation in himself. And I actually do have a copy that. of that book. You do? That my grandpa gave me. Nice. He picked up a couple of them a few years back and gave me one of them. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Can you compare, just based off visiting the old pen to the new joint, comparing a trass, how, how they were run and what being an officer and a, a guard, as they called them at the old site, what would that difference be? Well, the first thing I'm thankful for, especially with this recent heat, is the one I'm at. I spend pretty much my entire shift inside compared to walking Ooh. around <laughs> yeah. out in the sand or up on the wall like yeah. I have the old pen. Mm-hmm. But technology has advanced quite a ways. We don't have any cell doors that aren't completely solid, you know, mm-hmm. with the window in them, but no bars, nothing like that. Definitely, definitely a lot more amenities when it comes to, you know, we obviously have the air conditioning, the hot water, all the all the good stuff for them. So. What do you find is like the hardest thing about working with inmates? Uh, most people would say the hardest thing is probably some of the things you see when things do go wrong. Mm-hmm. But for me, the hardest thing is when I first started, I was uh, what they call a relief officer. So I, I bounced around and filled in wherever they needed mm-hmm. anybody to be. And the hardest thing for me was one day when I was working in visitation and you know, they're welcome to have, once they're approved visitors and everything, we've checked their background, they're welcome to have, you know, wives, girlfriends, and uh, kids come in with them. And it's when the offender has to say goodbye to their family mm-hmm. at the end of a visit. Yeah. And then go into a separate room before they head back out to the facility in their housing unit. That's definitely the hardest. That's something that I don't think I'd have a real, real easy time doing if it were me. Right. Yeah, that I mean, and that's the other thing is I feel like as a as a CEO you would definitely see these inmates as more than just inmates. You'd start to see them as people who have feelings and and relationships. And it's so mm-hmm. easy for us on the outside. And this is kind of what our podcast is about: is trying to understand these people not just as as criminals, but as as people who mm-hmm. maybe did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you find that a lot of these inmates tend to be more like quote unquote career criminals or do you find a lot of them are just people who got caught up with the wrong crowd, ended up 
in like just getting in trouble what like what sort of sort of trends do you mm. see there for the most part most of them out there are somebody who's just made a mistake or two and they're doing their time a lot of them really just try and keep their head down stay mm. out of trouble but then you know just like you see on tv there are those ones that come in <laughs> get involved with the stgs and just constantly cause trouble and those are the ones that you see getting out and almost immediately you know violate their parole or commit another crime and you know come right back i've seen mm-hmm. people in and out within three months and that means you know getting out picking up a new charge going through some of that and then already back out of the prison oh, and what's an stg is that what you said? stg uh security threat group it's just our terminology for basically a prison gang. Oh, okay. And what gangs are at your side at ISCC? Uh, we have most? a little bit of everybody. We have mm. a couple of homegrown Idaho gangs. We have uh, the Area Knights, or AK, mm. are probably the biggest one. We have SVC, which stands for Severely Violent Criminals. And they're another one that, when they decide to act up, they can definitely be a disruption. But then you have your California-based gangs. We have our own version of Serenios, Nortenios, mm-hmm. a little bit of everybody, but most of them are pretty, pretty low-key most of the time. Okay. Oh, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, uh, there, there wasn't so much mm-hmm. uh, gang. There, there were cliques at, at the old pen. You know, they were kind of a kind of a gang, but it wasn't based on you know race or anything like mm-hmm. that. It was mostly just. Who who was a heavy? Who yeah, you know could, group could push people and... around? Yeah, exactly. Do you see that? Do you, what I guess do they call that shock collars now? Yeah, uh, we do have uh, shock collars or tier heavies. Tier heavies. Okay, you can yeah. definitely see uh, depending on where you're at. I work in a couple of different units right now, mm-hmm. and one of them tends to have more of the affiliated offenders in there. And when they're grouping around or maybe working out together, something like that, you can almost always right away pick out the one who is in charge on that tier. Right. Absolutely. Wow. What do they do to show that, like to admit that? Um, Well, a lot of it's still just like it was at the open, the tattoos. Mm -hmm. Tattoos are absolutely huge. Uh, A lot of them have gone to, normally when they've got a long sentence or they're just super proud of it, Mm -hmm. you get their letters right across the front of their neck. Just two, three inches right across, Oof. so there's no mistaking it, or they'll put it, a couple of them have them right across their forehead. I mean, yeah, things that are just, this is me, this is what I do, not ashamed of it and not trying to hide it. Right. And there's other ones that are a lot more low-key about it, and they'll have all of them hidden, like, they're wearing short sleeve, you wouldn't see anything. Gotcha. Interesting. Mm. Do you often find, I'm curious about this, and this may be, like, a dumb question, but do you find, like, prison tattoo equipment as contraband frequently or do they keep it hidden pretty well sometimes they can get pretty creative but i would say that is definitely the most common contraband we find or okay uh not always the motors because the motors tend to be worth a bit more than just right. having the barrels or the needles or the even the ink mm-hmm. but uh yeah tattoos are definitely or you'll see them right after they have gotten a tattoo. It's pretty obvious to see. Okay. It's all bright and red. Oh, red. Yeah, yeah. Can you describe what a typical uh, prison tattoo gun would look like? Uh, one of the best ones I've seen was uh, <laughs> they took a motor out of. Uh, they're allowed to buy off commissary beard trimmers. Mm-hmm. Oh. And they could take the motor out of the beard trimmers and use that, and they'll take usually just a regular pen barrel to kind of shape the barrel of the gun, and then. We have a music room in one of our gyms, 
and occasionally they'll smuggle guitar strings out of there and use the guitar strings to make their tattoo needles. Whoa. Um, that, that is some ingenuity. That's... Just, it just hurts. Yeah, no, it does. Like, yeah. I've cut myself on guitar strings, you know. Ooh. Just You gotta want oh, it. You gotta yeah, want it. You gotta. Wow. Yikes. And, you know, what sort of antiseptic do they have? Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Not much. That's why yeah, as soon as I get something new, you almost immediately know unless it's winter and they've got it covered with sleeves mm. real bright red i mean they scab right away it's, <sighs> it's obvious have you seen them get infected i have seen a couple of them that uh one guy years ago got pretty bad staph infection out of it ended up <sighs> being off site for a little while to get that taken care <sighs> of Dude. i said you definitely gotta want it to go through all that but yeah. it's it's common yeah yeah you find more of them that have tattoos than not mm-hmm that's so interesting. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. So what do you find are the most common crimes that your inmates are are incarcerated for? Right now, a lot of it is usually possession of a controlled substance. That's a huge okay. one right now. And those sentences will range everywhere from, you know, a year or two on up just depending on how much and what it was. Okay. Do you tend to find cuz for uh for inmates at the old pen we i would say the most common for both men and women was like a money related crime so forgery grand larceny issuing checks without funds how often do you see those kind of crimes today uh, you still see them but not quite as common anymore okay occasionally you'll see one for forgery or uh, a lot more grand theft when it comes to things like that but yeah it's- Nobody uses checks anymore. Right, usually. right. right. Yeah. Kind of took that one out quite a bit. <laughs> so if there's like a, if there's something similar, but it's with a credit card, is that still considered like, w- w- is that still considered like a grand larceny sort of thing? Is it, is it forgery uh, still? There is, it... is a charge that I've seen a few times. It's uh, possession of a financial transaction card, I believe is how it's hmm. phrased. So it's literally just steal somebody's right, debit card right. or yeah, you know yeah. credit card or at least their information yeah. let's see that'd be that'd be really interesting to go in 50 years and and take mm-hmm. take stock of of the different crimes that you have and compare them to what we had out at the old pen right yeah. um just to see how how times have changed and how crimes have changed mm-hmm. that's so interesting well with, with technology i mean mm-hmm criminals are right there figuring yep. it out and yep. as soon as new technology comes out they're right behind so figuring amazing. out a way to use it yeah i i'm curious have have you had that issue in in the prison like do, do they have access to kind of the ipad uh they do have three player things yeah it's yeah. kind of a, a touch screen little tablet mm-hmm. jp5 and jp7s are what they're called now right. but uh they can get their music on it they can get emails when they hook it up every tier has a couple of uh little kiosks that they sign into with their own password and everything. And that's how they order their commissary. They can get emails. They can send them to and from their family after it goes through the approval process. They can also record short videos, things like that. Yeah. And we do see occasionally somebody will be muscled out of their brand new GP5. But one of the ways we combat that is when they buy it, it's programmed with their name to it. So it's Real easy to spot that it's doesn't belong to who might have it. Gotcha. And how often do you find like how do you find that? Just do you do shakedowns and things like that? Still? Absolutely, we do yeah. random shakedowns. Um, we do cell searches. Mm. 
every cell has to be searched at least once a month okay. without fail. That is one of our requirements. That's what I was curious about that. How often, how regular was that? Yep. Yeah. Bare minimum is once a month. Okay. And how is it more often that you do that usually? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it gets a little bit harder in some of the open dorm units where you have a bigger population. Mm-hmm. But okay. in some of the other ones where a typical tier on one half of the facility that I'm at has about 44 cells on it. And one, three tiers, 44, 40, another 44. Mm-hmm. Well, with four staff on each shift for the first two shifts, it's pretty easy to knock most of them out mm-hmm. within a couple of weeks. Yeah. And are they usually, are they ready for it? Like, or do you surprise them or try your best to surprise them? You definitely try your best to surprise them. <laughs> you, you have better luck finding what they're not supposed to have if you catch them off guard. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah. there are those times where... May have been a crazy month, lots of things going on, mm-hmm. or not having your regular staff, and uh, you've just got a couple left. If they know they haven't been searched yet this month, they know it's coming <laughs> without <laughs> fail. Do you get a lot of uh, blowback from them when, when you do this, or, or are they pretty like, yep, I, this is part of it? It really depends, but for okay. the most part, other than they always want to watch you, mm-hmm. and absolutely not allowed. You just have them go sit down in the day room, wait. Not normally a big deal, so they might push that a little bit. But as long as you're respectful and not putting boots all over their mattress or you know tearing things up and just going over the top with it, Mm -hmm. they just mostly look at is it is what it is. If you find something nine times out of ten, they're like, all right, you know you got it, or yep, you're right, that's not mine. (laughs) Not always an issue. And what what do you find most often that? is like an illegal well, you said like then. tattoo stuff is your most common yeah. right yeah. so yeah. what's like some other common ones you find um big thing with them is the electronics they're not always taking it from other vendors but say somebody's topping out their sentence you know they're getting out they're not going to want to take their tv with them because mm-hmm. everybody has the idea that they're never coming back mm-hmm. and they wouldn't have it even if they did so they'll either give it to a friend of theirs or They'll sell it for a certain amount of commissary because mm-hmm. it's a little bit cheaper than if somebody bought their own you know, TV, mm-hmm. fans, some of those other things. So you find those quite a bit. They'll usually have the, uh, we engrave all the electronics like that, except for the tablets with uh, the name and their IDOC number. Mm-hmm. Well, they've figured out how to sand it off mm-hmm. and attempt to engrave their own in there. Sometimes it's really obvious. Other times you can tell people have had a lot of practice putting it in there. Yeah, so. you have to check the books and like yeah, you yeah, make sure they can produce receipts. They're supposed to produce a receipt for anything that you question. Gotcha. If they can't, we send it down to the property office and let them deal with it from wow. there. So when you find one of these contraband items, uh, what's the next step? Do you confront them about it or do you write it up? Or yep, you yeah. get everything that you're taking from. Sometimes it can be you know just little things like excess state property if they've mm-hmm. got. Three coats. Nobody needs three coats, you know, because <laughs> they'll use them for pillows and other things like that. Mm-hmm. But take everything with you off the tier. You're just taking one of the offices, and we have uh, a specific uh, confiscation paperwork that we fill out. It has you know name, IDOC, where they live, long list of where you can fill in each and every item, mm-hmm. and they come out and call them out, talk to them about it a little bit. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes they'll admit it, sometimes they won't, but. You give them the opportunity to sign it as proof that you're acknowledging 
this was confiscated from your cell. It wasn't mm-hmm. stolen by somebody else or anything mm-hmm. like that. And it's boxed up and like sent down to the property office. And if they can, if it is in fact theirs, and they can produce a legitimate receipt for it, all they got to do is they have open office hours, oh, okay. and then go down and talk to the property officer, show the receipt, get their stuff back. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, how long would you say that like the average stay is for inmates? Are they longer sentences? Do they tend to be shorter based on good behavior? What sort of patterns do you see there? Anymore, I think. The sentences are getting a little bit shorter. Maybe not the initial sentence, but if you can come in, stay out of trouble. We've got a huge population right now. Mm-hmm. So as long as you don't have any violent disciplinary, any drug disciplinary, the parole board's been pretty generous about giving you a chance unless you've wrecked your chance out on parole several times. Yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. frown upon that. Mm-hmm. But right now they're definitely giving people chances to do better so and is it do you think part of that is just because of the 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 big population just a matter of sort of trying to ease overcrowding as much as possible i think that's part of it but i also think that the sure volume of offenders we have in our facilities are just kind of forcing them to look at things maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit differently okay maybe being not necessarily lenient but like i said really giving people more of an opportunity yeah at least the ones that deserve it. Right. Right, yeah. Was your facility affected by sending some of the men to Texas, like, in the last year? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. It was everybody, everywhere down at IDOG. I guess, maybe, can you explain ISCC and its kind of role amongst that, the whole prison complex out there? Well, ISCC stands for Idaho State Correctional Center. Right now, we are the biggest facility uh, within the IDOG prison system. We have over 2,200 inmates in our facility alone. Mm. Another unique thing about it is we have, I would say, probably the most diverse offender population because we do have every custody level Mm. within the system. We've got specific units for your your close custody or maximum security. Mm -hmm. And then the majority of it is GP where they're all medium custody. A lot of them can kind of commingle. We have protective custody. We have one unit specifically that is all minimum custody. It's got some kitchen and a little more freedom when it comes to being able to go out to rec, things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. And But it is all, it's an all-male facility, correct? Yes. Women get sent to Pocatello. They go is that to right? Pocatello. We have South Boise. We have, yep, yeah. South Boise Women's mm-hmm. Correctional Center. We have the... East Boise, Boise Reentry Center. Right next to the open. Yeah. <laughs> but just to give you a, a, an idea, listeners, of, of how many people 2,200 is, the maximum that the old pen ever had was about 600. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's almost quadruple that that amount in in IDOC right now. ISCC? Sorry. Just there. Yeah, just at that one site, which is amazing. What What's the ratio of officers to uh, offenders out there um it depends on the unit our institution is basically split into two big hallways you know we have the west wing mm-hmm. and we call uh, the north wing for the other side and the two units that we have in the west wing which is where i'm at for three days a week six tiers on each unit there's about six between 68 and 69 offenders on each tier mm-hmm. so it's roughly uh, I think max capacity for there right now is 412, and we have on day shift and swing shift four officers, 
We have three on the floor with one running the control center. So it's 130-ish to one. Wow. Oh That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. They well, tend to be a little bit more mellow on that side for the most part. Okay. <laughs> the population over on that side's not normally an issue. It is a little bit more of an open dorm mm-hmm. kind of setup. But. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, with that in mind, can you tell us some of the more exciting mm-hmm. experiences you've had since you've been there? Within the last year, we did have a couple of the STGs decide to act up and decide they weren't going to work together anymore. And on one of our close custody tiers, they did have a five-on-five fight. And when it's something like that where it's just more than regular unit staff can handle, mm-hmm. we have procedures to bring extra staff from other units that are on just your basic response teams just to get more people down there, mm-hmm. make sure everybody's safe, kind of get the situation down as quickly as possible, make sure everybody's okay. And that was... It was a long day. It happened, if I remember right, right about noon. So only a couple hours left to shift, but you've got to go down. You have to deal with that. And as a precaution, because it was such a big incident that we're not used to, mm-hmm. we ended up emptying the rec yards. We basically shut the facility down at that point in time. We didn't lock everybody in their cells, but everybody got returned to their housing units as a precaution. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are the units segregated kind of based on the, the gangs that they're in? Or... No, actually, we have um, a little bit more in your close custody where on each one of those tiers, they have what you call walks, usually about, depending on how the population's been lately, up to about eight cells at a time. Mm -hmm. That'll come out, so maybe 16 guys. Those aren't, they're not really segregated, but they are, uh, there's some thought that goes into who can live on each one of the walks. But in general population, for the most part, We've been pretty good at getting our SCGs to kind of, they don't always like it, but live together on a tier. They work themselves out and kind of find their own own balance. Yeah. Not so much giving each other space, but you will see on some of our North Wing tiers that one group can only use, you know, the bottom shower. They don't venture onto the top showers mm-hmm. or something like that because they're uh, stacked too high in the North Wing. And so if there is, a, you know, something like a fight or something where someone has done something that violates the rules, what is the punishment for their acting up or whatever it is that they may have done? Uh, normally when, if it's, a say, a fight, for instance, whether it's STG-related or not, first thing that happens, obviously, you know, staff responds, deals with it accordingly however we need to, whether that's the uh, OC that they give us or anything else, any other techniques that we were taught in the um, academy. Can you explain, you know, what technique you used to end this brawl that went down? Uh, like... For the most part, if you have to, you usually want to spray first with the OC because we get compliance almost right away with that. Oh, okay. It's it's an extreme irritant, and we all have to go through it at least once to even graduate the academy mm-hmm. so we know how bad it is. Oh. But... If you do have to go hands-on, as law officers call it, it's really not too bad most of the time. You may have to, you know, help guide somebody gotcha. to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally, we will uh, use uh, joint locks in order to gain compliance. Oh, yeah. Pain compliance works really well. Yeah. 
but okay. Yeah. Right. So then, so then, once that's taken mm-hmm. care of, then what comes next in their sort of punishment phase? Uh, they will pretty much always, unless it's real clear that they were the victim. You know, they didn't fight back or anything mm-hmm. like that. If it's a mutual combat, they are removed from the tier in handcuffs, escorted by a couple officers down to our segregation unit where they'll sit awaiting disciplinary action. And then the unit officers, we go in, we pull all their property off the tier, inventory it, take it down, give them a copy, make them sign a copy of the inventory, and then take all the property office. Mm-hmm. And where it goes from there is up to the disciplinary hearing officer. They could get commissary restriction, telephone restriction. Sometimes they're out in a couple of days. It's, it really depends on how severe the incident was. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's not necessarily... So, I mean, so segregation is not necessary. So, like, out at the old pen, we have things like Siberia and, and uh, you know, the cooler that are purely isolation cells that are meant solely for punishment. Are these sort of similar? I know they're probably not as uh, as intense and as inhumane as, as we had, but I just am wondering sort of how those kind of compare. Uh, they're definitely not that severe <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Our version anymore of a segregation cell is basically just a one-man cell Mm -hmm. in a specialized smaller unit. They still are offered recreation, but it is in a rec enclosure, Mm -hmm. one-on-one. A lot of times it will be four or five of them out at a time, but they're single in their enclosures. Mm -hmm. But they can still talk, have some interaction, Mm -hmm. and they're still offered... uh, I haven't been in there in a long time, I'm not sure how often, but they can still have a phone call depending on how long they're in there. Every so often they are offered showers mm-hmm. and um, they are provided with you know your basic hygiene and they still get their meals, but they get them, instead of going down to the chow hall, they obviously get them in their cell. Oh, okay. And it's it's like whatever was in the chow hall Yeah, to them? On they a, do okay. have special diets they're allowed to sign up for every mm-hmm. month depending on, a lot of times it's religious reasons, mm-hmm. but... We have vegan options, ovo-lacto, kosher, and it just kind of depends on what their diet is. But if they are on a diet, we might miss a meal in the transition. They can end up with a main line. But most of the time, our kitchen staff is real good about being on top of it Mm -hmm. and finding out when people have moved. So even though they're in segregation, they will still get their specialized diet. Yeah. So can you tell us what an average meal would look like? Do you, do you have to sit and watch them eat? Do they get to sort of mingle with the, the benefit of not being constantly watched? What does like an average meal time look like? Well, there's always a handful of officers in the chow hall because when we're running you know, breakfast or dinner, uh, there's normally no recreation going on at that time. So our recreation staff, and then we have uh, what we call response and escort officers, they have <clears throat> excuse me, a variety of tasks they do out the, throughout the day, but they're kind of bouncing around all mm-hmm. over the place, helping out, doing different things. Both those types of officers, plus usually at least one unit staff, will go down, and we just kind of wander about the chow hall while they get the chance to come down, get their meal, they socialize a little bit. Most of them don't normally stay too long, mm-hmm. but they'll come in, you know, sit, sit down, socialize, talk to a friend that might live on a different tier yeah. or a different unit, and then they go back to their unit. And so food-wise, what does an average, you know, not a vegan or a kosher, what's just like an average meal look like? It just depends on the day. Um, our food service officers 
we had a private contractor years ago that's no longer there, and IDOC took over all the food operations for it. I've actually gotten pretty good. I've had several of them when doing overtime. They give us a chance to go ahead and grab one. Okay. But it can be anything. They make their own version of kind of like a a chili mac, mac Mm -hmm. cheese, some hamburger in it, things like that. They'll do uh, on the holidays, like the 4th of July, they're served uh, actual hamburgers that are really not bad at all. It is a huge improvement compared to what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of talking about that, you were there when ISCC went from a private-run prison to the state-run system, and can you talk about, like, what the difference was from one day to the next that you experienced? Uh, That was probably the beginning of my career. That was within the first six months. I'd only been there about three when I volunteered to go over during the transition, Mm -hmm. and it's pretty interesting how you can see how the population has changed mm. at one point you know i did have the nickname the gladiator school i didn't want to say it <laughs> it had a lot of instance back you know back in the day mm. which thankfully have calmed down quite a bit yeah but the way that it used to be run you mentioned the segregating the different stgs and things like that that was when it was private that was one of their policies mm. mostly in the close custody unit that's down there each tier would be whichever SGG it was to try and kind of quell the violence a little bit. But that's not one of IOC's philosophies, you know. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to live where they got to live, and we try and make that work as best we can. If, if you're not safe, you're not safe, and you absolutely get moved. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is how the population interacts yeah. and how they interact with staff as well. Oh, There's a little bit more respect than when we first started. I don't know if it's because they push back more because it was a transition or because of the type of population that was already there when we made the transition. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you find that inmates would respond better in being treated like humans, you know, in being treated with more respect than rather than being treated like you're inmates and you deserve this this poor treatment that I imagine may come with a little bit of privatization? We still have some officers that are a little what I would say, badge heavy, very mm-hmm. 100% by the book. And sometimes, especially with new officers, it takes them a little while to learn how to build a rapport mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the population and certain inmates. And they may not mean it that way, but sometimes it can be perceived as disrespect and that just escalates the situation. Sure. Yeah. But once you've been there a little while and you've had a chance to kind of talk to some of these guys, I mean, you can sit down, crack jokes with them. I mean, you're not buddy-buddy. There's still absolutely that line of professionalism. Mm -hmm. But you can be more than civil. You can actually, like I said, have a rapport with them. Yeah. Yeah. Has that gotten anybody in trouble, like getting too close to somebody, or is it pretty... Oh, I'm sure. you got to make sure you make the boundary extremely clear. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, a lot of these guys with the criminal mindset will continually try and push the boundary. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It may start with, they might ask you for a pen or something like that Uh, that isn't approved for them, but that you might have, or just little things like that, and you just have to watch it and not let that snowball be very aware Mm -hmm. of just the little bits of manipulation that a handful of these guys will try and do. Yeah, I have a friend, he started work at the Ada County Jail, so it's not quite the same, but he said that a lot of his training was basically being taught 
how the like the different ways that inmates will try to manipulate you was that something similar you had to go through in your training as well yeah when uh, you go through the academy they have a couple of classes that teach you with offender manipulation and effective communication and things like that that they push real hard and are absolutely mandatory to get through the academy just so you can watch for like the, the little things that might not seem like nothing like if you ask for a pen but you know here's my pen no big deal but with them like i said you got to have that line ask for the pen back right after they're done using it right? mm-hmm. don't let it snowball like you may get not necessarily comfortable but you get used to where you are after a certain amount of time and you never want to get complacent you constantly want to remind yourself you are still in prison you're there to do a job mm-hmm. so wow yeah I'd be terrible yeah. at that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so not nice. for everyone. Yeah, it's yeah. not. But I definitely enjoy it. Yeah, Anthony would be like, "Oh, you want a pen for sure? I actually, I have a blue one. Actually, do you want yeah, the blue which, one which as color well? Do you yeah, want? yeah. I'd, I'd be in trouble so fast. I'd be terrible. I'd be good at like being a chaplain or something. Yeah. There, you there you go. There you go. Is there something for everybody? Yeah, yeah. I. That's the one thing I I've always wanted to know. Like, you enjoy your job? I do. And you, what? What what brings you back every day? What makes it so that... Uh, the number one this? reason is the relationships you build with the officers that you're working with every day. Mm, yeah. I, there's people out there I've worked with for the whole five years that I've been there so far. You know, we get along great. Occasionally we'll go out, maybe have a drink or something after work. Yeah. I mean, you get pretty close to people mm-hmm. because you have to build that trust that if something does go sideways, they need to know you have their back mm-hmm. and they've got yours. Yeah. And plus, you got to know how to have fun at this job. If you can't have a sense of humor and you can't have fun, the job's not for you. Yeah. It will eat you alive very quickly yeah. because it, it's not always sunny. Bad things do happen, mm-hmm. and you got to know how to deal with them. And do you have you worked with folks who've burned out and had to had to quit? And is that pretty pretty common? Is there a big turnover? unfortunately it is pretty common. It's gotten a lot better mm-hmm. uh, recently. They've been doing really well with the, they've revamped how they've done some of our training and things like that, helping people out stick around a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are definitely those that we have a couple of weeks before you go to the academy that you come out and you meet your training officer and you shadow around. You mm-hmm. kind of see what things are like. Yeah. We've had people leave at that point. We've had people leave during the academy or within their first year of probation. It just kind of depends on the individual. Mm-hmm. And some of them can't handle some of the worst situations that we see, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like I said, it's not for everybody, but it definitely happens. Yeah. Going back to some of the depressing things, have you seen death and suicide mm-hmm. and things in your, your career? Somewhere? I have not seen a successful suicide. Oh. I have seen a handful of attempts. Mm. I have seen uh, a few years ago we did have an older gentleman on one of the chairs that I worked on did collapse on the chair and ended up passing away after CPR and everything was performed. A mm-hmm. uh, couple of older ones have, you know, just passed away in their sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody has been killed. There have been people, unfortunately, that usually, not always, but usually due to either some kind of debt or STG involvement mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. there have been some pretty severe beatings. Oh. Yeah, some hospitalization. Yep. And, yeah. Take them off site, emergency transports. Yikes. But 
Unfortunately, it's not real common. Mm-hmm. Even with the big blow-ups, like I said, when we had that five-on-five, five, I don't think anybody was taken off-site. They were taken to our medical unit where the medical staff and the doctors and everybody checked them out, maybe a couple of stitches or mm-hmm. something like that. But every now and then there's some emergency transports Man. due to violence or heart conditions, things like that. Yeah. So in other words, it's very different than what they show on TV. Absolutely. I'm shocked by this. <laughs> I am shocked. Yeah. I can't believe it. Can you I, dispel yeah. some myths that you've seen like on TV yeah. shows that you're like, that never happens or... Well, before I started this job, I used to watch, like most people, uh, Lock Up and things like that on TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what I came to realize is it takes them months and months of filming at a specific place to get all of that footage to roll into an hour segment. Yeah. Uh, we do have cell extractions for a variety of reasons that happen. Most of the time, when it comes to a cell extraction, they may activate the team that's going to do it. Mm-hmm get down, get all geared up. Maybe we might get to the front of the cell where the team leader, which is usually the shift sergeant, mm-hmm. gives them, you know, one last verbal order. Need you to come out. You know, we're going to apply the wrist restraints and we're going to move you. Nine times out of ten, they will almost always decide that when you see the guys... When- and- what they call the turtle suits mm. coming in with the helmets and the, the pads and everything that are ready to come in yeah. and train to do so, most of the time they just decide it's not worth it. Yeah, like I've been watching the newest season of Orange is the New Black and there's like, I think there's like a death every episode or something. Just like, yeah. Lots of, and there's like, are, are finding drugs in the prison as common as as I think they tend to show on TV. Like, I think everyone thinks that just, like, drugs are constantly in and out and there's, like, always corrupt guards who are bringing it in. And mm-hmm. how common is that, do you find? I don't necessarily know how common it is, but unfortunately it does exist. Right. Both, you know, staff can be corrupted mm-hmm. for whatever the reason. Um, things can come in through visitation. Uh, there definitely are drugs in prison, but we do our best to... Like so with the searches, random pad searches, things like that, do our best to try and find it. And we do random UAs. Mm-hmm. Our investigation staff is just right on top of things as best they can be when it comes to, uh, I mentioned earlier, the emails that they can get to and from family, things like that. All those go through an approval process. Mm-hmm. So if something along those lines is mentioned, it's flagged, and like I said, investigations mm-hmm. usually right on top of it. Can you tell us a little bit about the education programs that they've got going out there? Um, I know we do offer GED programs. Mm-hmm. They do every few months. They have a graduation ceremony for the offenders that have obtained their GED. I believe we do offer some college-level courses. Mm-hmm. We have vocational classes as well, mm-hmm. include things like a, we have a carpentry shop. It's unfortunately, small, but very effective, mm-hmm. I mean. We have electronics. We've got a few different ones. A couple of trades, nothing nothing major. Like they have uh, Correctional Industries over on the yard or ISCI mm-hmm. that does uh, the furniture making shop and things mm-hmm. like that. We don't quite have that level, but we have uh, lots of opportunities that if they want to get involved and have something productive to do, mm-hmm. we do also like a genealogy class. Oh, cool. We offer things to keep them 
keep them busy. If they're truly the ones that want to keep their head down and stay out of trouble, we try and yeah. give them stuff to do. We also allow them to do uh, hobby crafts mm-hmm. inside the housing units. Everything from crocheting, beadwork, to drawing, a lot of options for them. So. Yeah. And do you ever, do they ever gift you anything like, hey, here's this bracelet that I made for you? Well, they might try, but you know, like they keep that line of professionalism. Uh, right. But I will admit, I've seen, especially with the beadwork, mm-hmm. there are some guys in there that make really, really great things, really great drawings as well, and yeah. some even sell them on the outside through family because mm-hmm. once they're completed they have to send them out mm-hmm. uh, but i have seen some just amazing work yeah. come out of some of these guys do you think then that these programs are useful in um in sort of helping these guys especially like those vocational ones they're meant the vocational classes and things are, are meant for rehabilitation for when these guys get on the outside that they're mm-hmm. then able to to try to be productive members of society because they know these skills, right? That's kind of what they're designed for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the vocational classes offer uh, different levels of certification in a few different disciplines. Like I mentioned, the carpentry one is a hugely popular one. I know there's always a waiting list to be able to get involved in that one. And it does give them a chance to learn something and then apply it to the outside. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, that even kind of the stuff like the beadwork and more of the hobby crafts, is is that, do you find that's productive use for for the inmates' time? Do they tend to stay out of trouble? Do they have a better outlook on life when they're able to make something? Like, what's sort of the attitude that you see in inmates who go in versus inmates who maybe don't do those things? The ones that can keep themselves busy with more than just uh, their bunkie next to them and, you know, hanging out and working out, if you can break that up and you have those different levels. I think it's an absolute help. I mean, mm-hmm. some guys do paper folding and it may take them a month, but I've seen a guy out of paper folding uh, bags that they get from chip bags that you'd get from like an Albertsons lunch or something mm-hmm. like that. He spent three months and folded it into this big semi truck and trailer. What? Cool. And not only do they get the appreciation because everybody likes seeing stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, even all of us officers will tell them, you know, how interesting it is yeah. and Encourage how impressive it, it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they also get the satisfaction. They like making, a lot of the time, things for their family on the outside. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps them. It gives them something, to, something productive to do, something to look forward to, and also kind of giving back to the people that are waiting for them on the outside. Yeah. Makes them feel a little more connected mm-hmm. send mom a, mom a rose or you know a present you know you get the like cards that. i've seen uh <laughs> mentioned roses i've seen them melt down jolly ranchers <laughs> and by the time they're done i have no idea how they do it because i've never sat there and, and watched but it's amazing they can make they look like glass roses oh, cool. but it's made out of entire entirely just jolly ranchers and does that count as like a hobby item, or is that contraband at that point? Like that, it's. It depends on how you want to look at it. Most of the time, most of the time, that's just that's just a hobby craft. It's gotcha. usually a, a special occasion kind of thing. And yeah, yeah. It depends on if you're the officer that is 100% by the book, mm-hmm. or if you're the one that looks at it like I do, kind of how I phrase it, a little more of mm-hmm. the human aspect. Mm-hmm. I understand the rules. I don't let them break the rules Mm -hmm. but you got to be a little understanding Mm -hmm. like if they're not supposed to be drawing 
mm-hmm. encourage them to because they have to be DOR free, disciplinary free mm-hmm. for six months to qualify to be able to do mm. a hobby craft. Yeah. So if they don't have the little card to hang up in their cell, mm-hmm. instead of taking it, oh, you're not approved and getting rid of it, you can be like, okay, we'll come out, let's look over. You need to apply for your hobby craft as soon as you've got it. Good to go. Not an issue. Yeah. And that's yeah. how I tend to be a little bit more, not lenient, but there's usually a little bit of a, a workaround to get things to line up the right sure. way. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, we have a great exhibit about prison hobby crafts historically, and the inmates at the old pen could actually sell their items mm-hmm. in in the front store. So people would come and they would buy shoes that Harry Orchard made, and they would only buy their boots from, you know, made by this assassin and, <laughs> you know, buy paintings for their families. And that option, of course, isn't, isn't the same. Now you have to send it to your family, and then they have to sell it. And... Uh, if we had the ability, though, I would bet that people said, would come out and buy some of the stuff. Like I said, you find yeah. really good things with the beadwork and the right, drawing. Yeah. That's cool. That's so cool. So do does a uh, ISCC? Did I say that right? Yes. Did I get that right. Do they? Do you guys get inmates from all over the state? Because it is it's a statewide. It's not just yes. it's not just a county. Tell us about like the diversity of your population. Like I said, our population is extremely diverse and it helps being the biggest facility in the state and having all the different levels but we've got pretty much a mix of everybody from you know maybe they didn't do so well on probation and now they've got a year to you know life without we have everything in between wow yeah so it just kind of depends on the individual what hobby craft they want to do but they're allowed to do uh two per person so they can mm. do beadwork and drawing cool so it kind of mm-hmm. helps them not get quite so bored with right. one thing or another mm-hmm. now, you grew up we both went to board we both graduated 2008 have you run into any issues where somebody on you know wearing the uniform and serving time and you're an officer and they recognize you have you have you ex- experienced that have you had that i have that? a few times fortunately for me none of it has been a negative experience okay it's just been Oh, hey, I recognize you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You kind of skip over the how you doing or how you've been kind of part <laughs> of it. But yeah. Yeah, I've run into a handful of people since I've been. Uh, I started out over at ISCI for a few months and then mm-hmm. transitioned over. I've run into people on both sides. Just make sure my superiors know that, yep, mm-hmm. I went to school with this individual. It's never been anybody that I was super close with or anything. But let them know. And no, it's not going to be an issue. I have no problem. You know, being professional, still doing my job, no matter what the situation is. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's been a few of them. Uh, most of them that I have run into are actually out at the moment. Everybody that I started running into is uh, either on parole or uh, finished out their sentence. Nice. So, and none of them have come back that have gotten out. So that's nice. a good sign. Good, good work. If you're listening, go work. <laughs> Keep it up. Keep your nose clean. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Have you had any strange requests? Have have any of the offenders been like, "Hey, I want this weird item," and you're like, "What?" <laughs> I, um, <laughs> not so much really anything strange, okay. but when it comes to the hobby crafts, there are certain things they're allowed to do within the policy. As far as um, like crochet, for example, they can have certain crochet hooks that are certain lengths. Obviously, they can't be metal things like mm-hmm. that, but. 
I don't think I've really had anybody request anything strange. <laughs> <laughs> just, just curious. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's coming though. I plan on being there for a while, so <laughs> it's bound to happen. Yeah, yeah. What are your future? What's your what's your future goal? Working there. Well, uh, right now, I'm working on applying to do different things like becoming a just little additional duties like becoming a field training officer mm-hmm. is something you can apply to do after you've been there two years. You can get involved with, once you do that, uh, teaching classes out at the academy, you know, a couple days while the academy is going on. You can become uh, an archon, which is our defensive tactics. You can be an instructor for that. You can be an instructor for lots of different things, mm-hmm. different ways to get involved. There's uh, special teams you can join. So I'm kind of looking around now that I've been there. I've got a pretty good handle on what the day-to-day and what my job is. Right, Starting to look into maybe joining one of the special teams. Like uh, we have an, our own negotiation team. Wow. That would be the ultimate goal. I'd absolutely love to do that. That's great. But. Awesome. Um, what is like one thing that you wish that like just the general population out here understood about you know the prison and, and the inmates and and what you guys do out there mm-hmm. for those guys? The biggest thing I wish they understood is most common when an inmate's getting out. A lot of times they're asked, you know, who made the biggest impact on you? And it's almost always hands down us regular, you know, low-rank correctional officers that come in every day that see them five days a week and build that rapport. Mm -hmm. We tend to have the biggest impact on them, Mm -hmm. hopefully in a positive way. (laughs) I can't promise that it's always that way, but hopefully in a positive way. And I like people, the general public, that have never seen the inside of a prison or... Uh, even the ones that have families that are on the inside, mm-hmm. they need to know that most of us are good people. We do our best, the best of our ability to treat them with respect mm-hmm. and try and help them change for the better. And what, what can we do as these guys are, are coming to the outside and trying to rebuild their lives? What is it that we can do as a, as a public to help them? Like, what's the best way to do that, do you think? I think if there were a few more companies out there that we're a little more felon friendly because mm-hmm. it's one of the things I hear from friends of mine that have transferred over into probation and parole or work at different facilities. Uh, a lot of these guys have a hard time finding a job and that's just tough to see because most of them, like I said, might have made a mistake or two in their time and they've served their time. They've proven that they can be responsible. You know, they're, they're back out. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them, all they want to do is be able to support their family and have more places that are willing to hire them for a decent wage Mm. instead of just the bottom wage that they can just because they know it's tough for them to find a job. Mm. If you can get more companies like that, I think it would make a huge difference keeping the recidivism down. Mm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, anything else you've got? Do you have anything else you want to talk about? (laughs) But the only thing I'd like is maybe a little bit more public awareness for the officers. Mm Mm-hmm. We are part of law enforcement. We go through training at the Post Academy uh, out there in Meridian. I mean, most of the people that I work with are extremely dedicated to their job. Unfortunately, we do miss holidays. We miss, Mm -hmm. you know, time with our family, depending on our seniority and our schedule and things like that. So I think just a little more recognition from the public would be outstanding. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think that the correctional officers tend to get just completely ignored. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we just know that the prison is there and it's like out of sight, out of mind in right. every aspect, yeah. not just with the inmates, mm-hmm. but but with the yeah. correctional if officers you're not as well. seeing it every day mm-hmm. or, you know, married to somebody or right. something like that. Right. It, it tends to get forgotten. I'd just like to see if more people realize that where they do a job, it is an unfortunate necessity, but it is a necessity. Mm-hmm. And just kind of makes it a little more recognition would be great. Oh, we sure appreciate yeah. it. I'm so yeah. glad. This is really me. cool. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were great, man. We haven't talked in, what, 11 years? Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so glad you reached out. That's, yeah, that's cool. Super uh, cool. Because yeah. I just, yeah, I don't know anything about current correctional facilities besides what I see on Orange is the New Black and that's exaggerated and blown out of proportion in every way but but it makes for good TV (laughs) (laughs) yeah what 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 are your thoughts just on prison as this like entertainment business Mm -hmm. all these TV shows and all these different things well, it's just like any other reality TV it's all about shock value like I said they'll spend months to get that (laughs) hour worth of things Mm. that'll keep people watching but a lot of times that portrays everybody in a bad light, I think, mm-hmm. you know, because right. self-extractions happen. You have to do certain things, certain levels, use of force, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But that makes it look like the offender population as a whole is violent, and that's mm-hmm. not the case. Mm-hmm. It makes it look like every officer out there just wants to be the biggest and the baddest, and right. and that's also not the case. Mm-hmm. we got a little bit of everybody on both sides. Have you ever seen that show Beyond Scared Straight where it's like they take like at risk at risk kids? I have kids. seen, the, I have seen <laughs> yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. episodes. Have you of that. do you, is there anything like that in Idaho where you try to like take or like it doesn't even have to be like a scare tactic but like is there like a for the the juveniles is there a program that they can come in and sort of see what prison life is like or or see something that might hopefully help them turn their lives around? Now I can't speak for the county jails but as far as IDOC goes the best of my knowledge there isn't a program like that mm-hmm. and it just i don't know i think it just kind of goes with the fact that our population as a state isn't quite that huge mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's a lot of political things mm-hmm. i don't know if we necessarily need it or like i said maybe the maybe the counties do something i'm not mm-hmm. sure it's the craziest show that's so scary. <laughs> these little, like, 12-year-olds, like, going, like, I'm the baddest one around. And then, like, these adult men are, like, screaming in their face. I'm always just like, oh, it seems so I scary. I do like the fact they always tend to get people that look big, bad, and mean. Right. But, you know, a lot of times they've proven that they haven't been an issue for, mm-hmm. you know, probably mm-hmm. years. Right. right. That's why they're, yeah. they're But they play it up yeah. so, so well. And I do love that part of it. Well, and I do have, so, you know, out at the old pen, they had a trustee system. Is there something similar where if these guys have been on good behavior for a certain amount of time, they get sort of extra privileges, they get, so at trustees, you sometimes you were even immediately placed mm-hmm. on it if you had a nonviolent crime and you got to, you didn't have to sleep in a normal cell and you, you got to, you kind of do the less labor intensive jobs and things like that, where you kind of got extra privileges. Is there something like that? Um, well, there's nothing that they automatically go into sure. depending on their crime. Pretty much everybody, for at least a certain period of time, starts at medium custody, you know, general population. But we do have uh, one of our minimum custody facilities, uh, SICI, which is the farm. Once they can get to minimum points, either do their crime and no disciplinary or no disciplinary in X amount of time, mm-hmm. they have the option to go out and work within the community. Or um, a friend of mine actually runs 
the offender fire crews during the summer. Oh, wow. But obviously you have to prove you can be trusted, Absolutely. at least to some extent, to be able to do things like that. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of got to mm-hmm. earn your way there. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And are escapes as as common as everyone likes to think that they are? They're not real common. Occasionally you will have the walk away from, uh, like I said, SICI is a non-secure facility, which just mm-hmm. means there's no fence closing right. everybody in because they have to go out and do their projects. Some will work construction jobs, things like that. Occasionally you do have somebody who thinks they're smarter and they'll, they'll walk <laughs> away. They don't make it, but usually maybe a couple of days. Okay. Yeah. There's no like... get caught up pretty quick, and that's a, a big price to pay. A couple of days worth of freedom, and you usually go all the way back to the top where you just prove them that we can't trust you. Right. You need more constant supervision for everything, so they'll lose a lot of that and do freedom they, they have. Do they get a separate charge for escape, or do they just get basically, like, they have to go back to the, the top? Uh, depends on the situation, but especially if they're caught running, they will can definitely get another charge, mm-hmm. and they might have only had a year left on their sentence, mm-hmm. but that walkway could cost them up to 10 years. Wow. Jeez. And I have seen that happen, unfortunately. This guy was within, I believe, a year and a half Oof. working on a construction job site, decided he was going to walk away and start early, and I believe he caught an extra 10 years for that. Jeez. Wow. I can't oh. even imagine. But there's no, like, tunneling under, through walls or under no, fences yeah. or anything. You don't see that anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Way more secure. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot safer for you as a as an officer now. Absolutely. Uh-huh. <sighs> I did have a question for you guys. Oh, yeah. One of the things we're taught, at least in the recent history of IDOC, that there has never been, we have unfortunately had some officers seriously injured, but we have not had an officer killed mm-hmm. on the job. Can you remember a time when that happened out of the old time? I have never come across any any officer dying mm-hmm. on duty. There were Fantastic. several who, you know, got their their necks yeah, cut yeah. Uh, and stabbed and and beat and you know even one was knocked unconscious and and bloodied. But no, no, never no, survived. Yeah, uh, no unnatural deaths. Yeah, all all the deaths of correctional officers at the site were because most of the officers out there were were pretty old and they you know died of natural causes <laughs> mm-hmm. and so there were a couple of heart attacks and and things like that on duty but yeah no no deaths so that's that's interesting yeah, that's so scary. idaho is yep no officers been killed on duty amen to that wow let's continue that that's the plan Whoa. i do have another question um so the the death penalty is still legal in the state is um iscc is that uh, the facility where if a, 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 an inmate were to come up for the death penalty, is that where that execution would take place? Have you seen an execution? Like, tell me about the execution. I have not thing. seen one. Um, our death row, there are a handful that are on death row, but that is over at IMSI or MAX. Okay. And it does have its own separate building mm-hmm. away from the majority of the population and everybody else where it's very secluded from all of that. There are special officers trained to be around when something like that happens. We do have people on death row. It does not happen very often Mm -hmm. because our appellate process is long, years Mm -hmm. and years and years. But uh, 
Like I said, that all, all that happens over at max. Okay. And I think the last one, if I remember correctly, was in the mid two thousand. So it was okay. a few years before I started working okay. out there. Yeah. And then you mentioned that you started actually with female inmates. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of the differences that you see between? Uh, men inmates and women inmates. Um, my bi- my big project has been on the female inmates mm-hmm. at the old pen, so I, I'm very interested in these sort of gender dynamics and things like that. Um, I didn't really work with them a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Kind of toured around. I did spend uh, a couple of days working over at one of the female facilities. Okay. Uh, most of what I know about the female facilities are from a friend of mine who actually transferred down to Pocatello for a few months okay. for the experience. And it's funny, he actually said for the most part, anymore, at least down on that end in Pocatello, everything that happens in a male facility happens in a female facility. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty so, much yeah. the same other than how you approach it being a male officer in a female facility versus right. how our female officers approach it like at my facility. Right. Mm, yeah. But right. yeah, just better than you could think of. It still happens, the fights, the drugs, right. the... And that's that's an attitude that has definitely had to change because really I'd probably say the first fifty years that they had women at out at the old pen there was always this idea that like they couldn't do anything wrong if they had done something wrong it was because of the man in their life or like you know there was always some like women just inherently were not capable of doing these same crimes and obviously we've learned today as you just mentioned that that is absolutely not the case and I don't think it was the case back then mm-hmm. they just, just didn't want to see it yeah. Yeah. yeah so I just was curious yeah. about I would say that so a lot of times they're they're pretty equal if you know a couple commits a crime together usually they'll get almost the exact same Mm. sentence depending on you know if there was a plea agreement or anything like that but everything as far as i've seen is pretty even across the board same privileges depending on their custody level you know Mm -hmm. no more no less i talk really good about uh the blanketed policies about which custody level you're at and things you can and can't do it doesn't matter if you're male or female that's interesting. Yeah, that's because we we've already done a few episodes where the the male male and female did the same crime, but the woman got manslaughter and the man got first degree, yeah. and uh, so yeah, it's been that's super super interesting, and that's to the extreme. Really, in that yeah, case, absolutely. Where he was actually executed for mm-hmm. the crime that they committed together, and she got off. And she was six in and six and a half years. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Right. Six and a half years. Six and a half. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Jenny. <laughs> uh, I, have you come you up would, with your question? Yes, I have. Now I have two, though. <laughs> okay. So you were saying uh, female correctional officers. Are there a lot mm-hmm. in ISCC? And, and is there any difference in their job as to yours? Or uh, We have quite a few. We actually have uh, several females all the way up through the IDOC chain of command. Mm-hmm. You know, working oh. out central office. We have females that are running re-entry centers mm-hmm. we have female lieutenants at my facility uh we had female captain over the yard for a while she's recently got promoted and is moving on nice. yep looks they're all the way up yeah all the way up the chain of command at all sorts of different levels the only thing that i would really say is different from what i do every day is they do have to be a little more cautious a little more leery mm-hmm. pick up on uh if an offender might give them uh, a compliment they got to be right on top of you know hey that's inappropriate mm-hmm. we need to keep yeah. this mm-hmm. professionally yeah. yeah i've got to knock it down right away right. Nice. yeah i was gonna ask do the do the inmates treat the women differently 
A lot of them do. Okay. Yes. Like, do they take them less seriously, or is it is it more of a like, oh, there's a woman here and we can be flirty or whatever, like that professionalism you were talking respect. about? I've yeah. Seen that. yeah. It just depends on the inmate. I've seen all of that. Some of them are, they think it's a joke that they're there, Oof. which is usually they learn pretty quickly yeah. when something goes sideways. <laughs> That's not the case. But they're the ones that are constantly trying to flirt with them, trying to compromise them. Luckily, that's we've been lucky. It's pretty rare that that does happen. I mean, just they got to be a little more cautious. But it's definitely different. You can see the population change a little bit if they when they walk on hmm. tier. Okay. Interesting. Huh. If it's a female sergeant. There's usually that instant respect, like yeah. you were talking about. Yeah. But if it's just regular officers, sometimes they'll be a little more, like I said, friendly. Mm-hmm. Most offenders will not, pretty much for any reason, attack a female staff member. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare they even go after male staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it does happen, but mm-hmm. it's much less common for them to go after female staff. Mm-hmm. And that's even in some of uh, the SGG bylaws and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's off limits. That's not going to happen or... Right you'll be punished for it within the SDG. Okay. All right. Well, and then my last... Don't forget your question. (laughs) Squawky. We kind of joked about it at the beginning here, but uh, Squawky is, of course, what they call prison wine here in Idaho. Is is that what they still continue to call it out the site now? Every now and then you'll hear it called hooch, but most of the time it is still called Squawky, (laughs) and it is just the worst, worst smell within the entire prison system i think it's terrible when it's fermenting and sometimes they'll get their hands on a trash bag and have it all mixed in there well when it ferments it bubbles up and they have to what they call burp it you gotta let some of that air out and it is if they're not clever about it you can walk on a tear if somebody's done it within the last hour or so and you might not know exactly what cell it is but you'll know what that smell is once you've smelled it once You've got uh-huh. it. You know what it is. You know how to recognize yeah. it. So where are some of the, the most creative places that you found people brewing? One of the, at least some of my common ones used to be, they'll put it, they have uh, big plastic trash cans out in the day rooms, things like that. Mm-hmm. So they'll hide it under a regular trash bag oh. because we have offender janitors for every tier. Right. They're the ones that take the trash out. <laughs> so they're the ones that'll pull the bag off, put the new one over it, just make it like there's it. nothing there. A lot of times they'll try and hide them in their property boxes or uh, some of the bottles they get off commissary, like they can buy uh, bottles of soda. They'll fill that up because it's got a screw cap on it and it can sit tight. They'll fill up a handful of those and spread it out between the different cells. Hmm. What's their main ingredient that you've noticed? Oranges a lot of the time because they do get uh, fruit with lunch every day. And uh, that's why they're only allowed to have it until the next meal. And then we can confiscate it. But when you see them starting to pull up a couple of days, right away. Just mm. even if they're not, you just you grab it. Yeah. yeah. Oranges are the most common, but pretty much any any fruit we give them because they can buy things like sugar mm-hmm. off a of commissary. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
Yeah, Anthony brews it. He keeps doing, says he's doing it for events. I think at this point he's doing it for himself. <laughs> he's see. always got squawking brewing in the office. Oh, he mentioned it, he had a pretty big smile. So like, <laughs> at least some level he enjoys it. Just it's, like yeah. watches it. And he's like, look at, you can, you can see it working. And I was like, you're just, <laughs> that sounds so gross. It's, I understand the pride in it, but I don't get the punishment from it. So like, what is the punishment mm-hmm. of if you find somebody who's brewing it and they're in their cell um it's possession it is treated the same way minus a separate new felony charge Mm. it is um what we call a class a disciplinary offense it affects your custody level it is one of not the most severe but it is definitely one of the most severe uh disciplinary offenses that we have and if they're in gp and they're caught with it the amount of points that get added to their classification automatically puts them into a close custody unit for usually about six months at least for an assessment period. Jeez. So it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely no, not. not. Just based on how nasty it tastes. And it's like vile. You assume, yeah. And they're under the influence. It's it's obvious. Even if they've yeah. only had a little bit when it hits, it hits hard. I was going to say, isn't it pretty strong? It's pretty gnarly. Yeah. I've the, never The tried chance it. of botulism is the only thing that you know, keeps me <laughs> <laughs> keeps me from drinking all of it always. Uh, but it's it's definitely nothing you enjoy. Like I'll take a sip of it and I'll be like, Wow, this is a great batch. <laughs> dump it <Done>. out. <laughs> yeah. Fill up so, a whole cup, take a drink, dump it out. Yep, that that tastes about exactly how it smelled. Like, like bile and feet and rotten, you know, uh, rotten food. Yeah. Once you know what it is, <laughs> you got it. You it's, will never forget it. Yeah. So if if you're found with heroin in your cell, is that the same class A as if you they find squawky with like a maybe it a ten percent alcohol content? Actually, same. Wow. It absolutely is punishment. It's, Wow. Yeah. So definitely not worth it. So who who do you find typically bruise it in their cell? Like who is so Yeah, who's like desperate enough yeah. to brew this risk getting put in in a whole different A lot of times the people that are caught with it aren't necessarily even the ones that are brewing it. Mm. They're the ones that are holding it because they either owe a debt or oh, that sucks. they're trying to make uh they're trying to make friends or like, they'll hold it for different reasons. Sometimes they're forced to hold it. Yeah. You know, it just depends. But usually when you find it like that, if they haven't hidden it out in the day room and it is in the cell, it's, occasionally you'll catch them when it first starts and they happen to be the one brewing it. Mm-hmm. But most of the time it's somebody just holding on to it. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the other person usually usually gets away with it. Oh, man. That, makes, that gives me another question. Okay. <laughs> Sexual assault. Mm. Do you see that a lot in at ISCC, or have you? Not a lot. It does happen. That is part of the reason why we do our hourly tear checks. Mm. And we're checking on everybody. Um, we have protocols in place that if somebody comes out and says that something like that has happened to them, mm-hmm. you know, we have an officer sit with them at all times. We go up the chain of command, notify our ship lieutenant. Mm-hmm and investigations as well and they both have their separate parts that we have to go through the whole investigation process and everything like that but the individuals are separated you know everybody's watched and Mm -hmm. just go through the motions and so if the the investigation process finds that this did actually happen what is the punishment for the uh, the offender the assaulter Um, it's another 
Uh, class A offense, it can lead to new charges if it wow. is found to actually be rape. Uh, it can absolutely things like that happen. We get uh, we call out Ada County to come out mm-hmm. and investigate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're separated. Uh, usually, separated best we can to different facilities if we can do that. Wow. But they're we find ways to make sure there's no longer any contact whatsoever mm-hmm. and absolutely mitigate the chance of that happening again. And then maybe, maybe last question. Um, but what, uh, what do you find in terms of prison rats, like people ratting each other out? Is that, is that still very much like snitches get stitches sort of thing? Or if is, they get caught. Yeah. Okay. There are definitely uh, people that are a little more willing to talk to staff. Sometimes they will, you can build a rapport with certain individuals and they don't always come out and tell you, but sometimes they'll come out and tell you, like, hey, there's a chance this could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and it depends. It doesn't always have to be to a sergeant or somebody higher in the food chain. They'll come out and just be having a conversation with you real quick if they need, uh, you know, a roll of toilet paper. And we come out and do that. And like, oh, you know, I heard this. Or they'll drop, uh, we'll take all kites, but we have uh, concern forms for them to address to different people and things like that yeah. they'll drop anonymous uh, concern forms mm. for us to find okay. so then we can start looking into connecting the dots and so but they're they're everywhere despite what they right. say they are everywhere <laughs> and all the stgs and different levels it just depends on how good they are hiding it yeah. so going back to this sexual assault if someone who had been assaulted came out and told you guys would they be considered a rat or is that more of a safety concern sort I think of that's thing? more of a safety concern. Okay. That doesn't necessarily get the blowback from uh, the oh, other okay. inmates mm-hmm. as much. Okay. Especially because most of the time the other population won't know that happened. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's something right. that pretty happens. It's, uh, I don't want to say low-key, but it, it's not a as visible as some of the other things that are going on. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, they're removed right away from the tier and kept away and yeah. secluded <laughs> so the investigation can be done and things like that. So it usually doesn't have the blowback from the rest of the population. Okay. Interesting. Well, that gave me a couple more questions. <laughs> I know, I know this is what happened. Prison slang. Do you hear a lot of slang terms out there? Absolutely. That, can you tell us some that you hear? A lot of it's just little kites obviously you know you still call people rats they have uh signs for different things because they they do sign between the tiers to get their mm-hmm. messages across yeah. um, sky talking or something like that <laughs> what is it? they have uh, uh like i said they call concern forms kites and same with the little scrolls that a lot of times get passed mm-hmm. between them during the halls things like that <laughs> well squawkies technically what i'm trying to think of what else what's something we've used well, stool pigeon. That one you don't hear very often. That's an old one. Yeah, that one you don't hear very often anymore. <laughs> Most of the ones you can probably think of probably still get used because it's a lot of uh, the the culture that comes mm-hmm. in with the the SDG and the gang mindset and things like that. All that slang comes in. It's yeah. Real common, even for ones that aren't affiliated, just because they hear it all the time, so they right. start using it. And even the officers occasionally start using it. Yeah, like I said. Uh, Kite's a big one just because it's one of the biggest things that, you know, we hand out to them. They have concern about something. They need to address somebody, you know, get a kite, throw yeah. down a kite. Do they still call guards bulls? 
I have not heard that. Okay, because no. they, they've done that a few times in records and oral histories that we've seen. Yeah. Or officers, bulls. Yeah. Or fish. Uh, mm. You hear, what do you call the new new population? You'll hear uh, uh, fish is still used. you hear when they're usually talking about newer officers, uh, even they'll call them uh, new boots, things mm. like that. <laughs> yeah, they used to call them fish bulls. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> new boots. Wow. New boots is fun. Wow. And then my last question. For now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Precisely. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> no, you're fine. Keep me over an hour. What do you do to, I don't know, relax and, and get away from, from prison? And... I do most of the same things that I've always done as far as, you know, being outside. Just got back from a, a week camping. I've got a wife, two boys. My youngest is getting ready to turn four oh. next week. Nice. My oldest will be 10 next month. So they keep me pretty busy, yeah. involved in, uh, my oldest does Cub Scouts, mm-hmm. which I grew up doing, so yeah. I'm pretty heavily involved in all of that. So. Nice. There's always, always something yeah. that you can cool. do, and you have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just a job, and that will consume you, and that's when you see people get burnt out. Right, yeah. Man, that's great. Yeah. Thanks for all the insight. This has been amazing. Yeah, I, really I cool. This is crazy. <laughs> well, good. All right, well, anything else you can think of that you're like, I need to say this, or my boss made sure that I say this or anything. Oh, nothing else that I could think of. Pretty well covered a little bit of everything, and it's been pretty fun to actually give some some insight out there because there's just so much that the general public doesn't see about Mm -hmm. what goes on. Right, absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, we always like to sign off with this uh, with this saying. So if I say, "Do your own time," how would you respond to that? Nobody else's. Ooh, good. I like that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, do your time. Do your own time and do your own number. Yeah. yeah. Nobody else's. I love it. Nobody right. else's. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Thank Jamie. you. If you enjoyed Behind Gray Walls, please rate, review, and subscribe so others can find our podcast. If you're interested in more Old Idaho Penitentiary information and to see mugshots of the inmates featured in this episode, follow the Old Idaho Penitentiary on Instagram and Facebook. If you want to learn more about the Idaho State Historical Society and its other sites, follow ID State Historical Society on Instagram or visit history.idaho.gov. If you have a question or comment for the hosts, please email us at behindgraywalls at gmail.com.